Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. This podcast is delivered weekly with a construction executive. These executives are all from all around the globe, and it's focusing on current and aspiring executives in the construction industry. Um, today, I'm going to talk with John Wolf. Uh, John is with Spire, and I don't know John well enough to introduce him. Uh, and if I did, he'd probably do it better than I would anyhow. So, John, tell us about, number one, first tell us about yourself, and then secondly, tell us about your company. Um, hi, Scott. Um, my name is John Wolf, and I'm a, a dispute resolution expert uh, that practices in the construction claims industry, or the portion of the construction industry. And uh, we also uh, get involved with a lot of project controls during the projects, schedule updates, cost reporting, estimating, that type of thing for change orders. Um, I've been in the industry for over 30 years, uh, worked with uh, at least or held director positions at two of the top uh, current 20 ENR contractors and uh, also have done a fair amount of work on some uh, owner side uh, de in developing million dollar programs. Where'd you grow up, John? Uh, I was a little bit of an army brat, uh, <laughs> traveled in a bunch of different places. Uh, but my first uh, work experience was in New York City uh, doing high-rise projects, um, you know, projects above the clouds type jobs. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so uh, so did did you uh, go to school, join the service? Kind of how did you end up being where, you, you know, getting into construction? Um, my family or a portion of my family is in construction, subcontract community. Uh, so I actually had started working uh, construction prior to graduating high school, um, kind of tough love in the family type routine. Uh, when I, as I was graduating high school and going into college, uh, I was working for a large uh, vertical integrated developer at the time in the field, uh, doing surveys and sort of assistant project manager, assistant superintendent type stuff. Um, and then throughout college, I worked and loaded up into the eventual superintendent ranks, uh, area superintendent type stuff, and then eventually became a PM as I graduated college. Um, shortly after graduating college and shortly after doing a stint as a PM, um, I was brought over or recruited into the dispute side of the industry. And uh, from that point on, for the last 25 years, uh, 30 years, have been working kind of both sides of the industry, depending on what I'm, where I'm at, whether I'm just doing pure consulting, or whether I'm working as a director inside one of these companies. Well, that's kind of funny because me and you uh, are dinosaurs by today's standards. I mean, most people don't go from being working in the field to being in project management and going that route. Now everybody primarily just goes to school and they kind of get granted that position, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, no, you. We we do feel like dinosaurs sometimes, uh, but <laughs> you, you, it, it, there is something to be learned for uh, you know holding a rod in your hand and and swinging a hammer prior to going into the management ranks of the companies. It it creates a little bit more depth into the viewpoints of what's going on and or when you look at paperwork retrospectively, um, and trying to get that instilled into the current generation that we're training and mentoring is actually a lot of what we try to do at Spire. We try to get our people 
as much field time as we can, even as consultants or as program managers, um, because we want them to gain that that innate um, experience or value um, that you just don't get if you're not working on that site a lot. I think you know what I mean, Scott. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's tough to put together a schedule if you don't know how it goes together, you know. So, uh, so that there is definitely a lot to be learned there. So, tell us about Spire as a company. Uh, Spire is a company that started about ten years ago. Um, it has really, you know, if you go on the website, you'll see that there's four or five different levels of services that we provide or business lines. Um, but at the end of the day, they really break down to two core. Abilities. Uh, the firm was started and it's cash cow and what it's most well known for is construction claims and dispute resolution slash litigation assistance. Um, most of our experts and the folks that are in our company have been doing that for well over the 10 years the company's been in existence, you know, 20, 30 year people. Um, we are a national and international force um, in that. We do projects all over the world with litigation and um, some of the largest cases in the country we've dealt with. Um, and in, at all levels, uh, federal government, private, you can talk about uh, Boeing aircraft projects to projects that involve, you know, multi-story <coughs> projects to industrial plants um, because litigation and project controls, as you know, Scott, you know, span all the different mm -hmm. aspects of construction or manufacturing. Uh, the other side of the business, which is the newer side of the business, um, that's only been up and running now for about three or four years, is a program management division, which is a separate line of business um, and is purely just program management, CM as agent type work, um, where we are, are taking on large programs. Uh, usually in combination with either a mentor-protege type program that is, we're still a small business um, or where it's a small enough program where we can just handle it ourselves, which we have a couple of those as well. Uh, and that's what we do. That's that's pretty simple. So um, primarily, do you have a location or you – I mean, Wizzy, what you, do, you guys do, you probably go nationally or globally, right? Yeah, the uh, well, the two lines of business kind of operate separately from a geographic standpoint. Uh, the litigation and construction claims, uh, we're nationwide and we're international. Um, we worked litigation claims and have current cases in probably over 20 or 30 countries right now. Um, and as far as the states goes, you know, anywhere in the states, we're probably involved with a construction claim or a litigation case. Uh, the program management division is definitely more based in Texas and in California. Uh, that's just largely because we have an office in California and we have our offices in Texas. And uh, program management is, tends to be a little bit more regional, especially when you're working either on small programs, trying to set up a fragile division line of business, or if you're working in a, uh, a mentor protege with one of the bigger program managers. Um, so that's how that lays out geographically. So your two two primary locations are Texas and California. Yes, for the program management, we okay. have offices in uh, te California, Texas, Florida, and DC. Um, but the main 
program management work that we're doing right now is in California and Texas. Oh, okay, okay. Well, seeing you guys, you guys uh, been in business for ten, ten years. Are are you at a point right now where you guys have, you know, five year plans? Because you know, I know when I started my company, it was like I had a two month plan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I had a three month plan. You know, do you guys kind of have a five year plan of where you guys want to go and what you guys want to do? Yes, uh, we went through the same thing you're talking about, Scott. The ten, nine, ten years ago, it was definitely the three-man plan or three-month plan type of thought process. About seven, eight years ago, I'll say we actually started doing strategic planning as a focus of the company, um, where and it takes a good three, four, five, three, four months to run a true strategic plan. We usually start in September, finish it off in January or February of the following year, um, and that's what eventually led to trying to develop the separate business lines like the PM division that we started you know, three, four years ago. Um, so yes, we do go through a pretty heavily involved strategic planning division or effort um, that does involve a, a large portion of the company. It's a significant investment that we put in every year to that process. I tell you, you guys are, uh, you guys are going to be, uh, if you're not already involved in a lot of work, you're going to be involved in a lot of work with everything that's going now and going on now in the construction industry. What's your, what's your thoughts on that with everything that's currently happening? Uh, the coronavirus stuff? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we have a fair amount of coronavirus related issues running on right now between the various job sites. Um, this is mostly on projects where we're either doing schedule updates um, or change order slash risk management oversight with contractors or owners. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of concern trying to get opinions from the AGC or get opinions from the owner, uh, from the lawyers. Um, what we're largely focused on is quantifying the amount of delay or disruption or man hour lost or dollars that are being lost in some of these jobs. And obviously it's spotty. Uh, there's some places where we're seeing a good amount of impact on jobs, uh, like Austin, where they actually shut down projects for a while because mm -hmm. there's confusion as to what the actual rules were for stay at home and what was essential and not essential. Um, to places like Louisiana that are seeing more uh, production, shipping, delivery delays uh, because of various roadblocks between Texas and Louisiana, to uh, other places where we're not seeing much impact at all. That we have job sites that are up in, you know, Illinois or Indiana that are not in city areas, and the local ordinances really haven't impacted the ability of the jobs to be performed. Uh, the updates are not showing lots of slippage, you know, the costing or you know, the manpower staffing is holding pretty easy. So depending where the projects are and what the nature of the you know, change in rules or regulations and what we're doing in terms of safety and separating people at the sites, um, there's different <coughs> levels of impact that we're seeing and trying to quantify and help our clients put together, you know, a submission to an owner or an owner to review a submission, you know, is it reasonable? What I think is interesting is how different people are categorizing, different states are categorizing essential and non-essential projects, you know. And it's funny because in one state, <laughs> we'll say like, a, you know, something stupid like a sporting goods store in one state is essential, but in another state, it's not, you know. Correct. And so it's like what – how do you even quantify it? And we see this with the federal government, too, about how they're quantifying different bases. You would think even the feds would be on the same, you know, on the same page 
for everything, but every different base or, you know, entity we talk to is all doing their own thing, you know? So, um, so I, I see a lot of that happening. The other thing is, I don't know if you've seen this, but we've actually started placing people on jobs to, uh, be representatives for monitoring vi the virus and the spread of the virus. So they're on job, on jobs to take people's temperature and keep sanitation where it needs to be. It's kind of crazy world a little bit, you know? No, we have seen that. Um, we've actually, um, we've seen those recommendations by AGC, of course, you know, they, they published guidelines on that kind of stuff. And some contractors are taking it to heart. Uh, a lot I've, a lot of contractors, I've seen contractors that are holding like Monday, uh, every Monday they're holding meetings just on coronavirus, even though they're doing a remote and they're keeping tablets completely and they're doing all types of odd procedures that we haven't seen before so that when you have your toolbox meeting on Monday, people are still not crowded together or touching the same iPhone or tablet or anything like that. But they're making concerted efforts to do those type of things. And that's a new procedure that, you know, the firm, the none of these companies ever seen before. So, you know, anything they can do to prevent, uh, you know, a, a positive test coming on a job site or getting into a project uh, is going to be, you know, important because, you know, it's only going to take one or two positive results on the job site to create a panic or run and, and, and then you get another round of, well, is it essential or is it not essential? You know oh, yeah. what I'm saying, Scott? Oh, yeah. That's, that's what, that's what, it only takes one, too. That's what's crazy about it because I was talking, my, right across the street from me is Lowe's and I know the general manager there and he, he, he was telling me, we're so afraid because if we get just one, you know, it's going to scare everybody off, and that's, <laughs> that's yeah. 100% true. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, and I was speaking to some folks from Gilbane just yesterday, last night, a friend of mine, and uh, he was expl explaining that, that, you know, the, their company particularly is putting a, a good amount of procedures in place to deal with it as best they can uh, where he is at, and he was expressing the same thing. He was, he was, he, he they're more worried about just creating, um, an oversensitivity to it or an overreaction by the public agencies by changing the rules on us um, while they're trying to actually do everything they can uh, within reason to, to deal with it. Um, and, and I mean, we all understand the situation, but at the same point in time, we all love construction. We mm -hmm. want to keep working out there. You know, we want to keep putting stuff up and to do it, we need the cash flow. We need to keep paychecks for folks. Uh, so it's a delicate balance that most of the construction firms and most of the owners and developers are uh, engaged in right now. And hopefully, you know, eventually we'll get ourselves through this. Well, and, you know, um, I, I hate, I'm sorry I got off on a, on a side note there, but, uh, you know, because I know when I turn on the news, it's coronavirus all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm hoping maybe this could be a break for a little bit uh, for, for some people. So let's, let's uh, go to, let me ask you, um, you know, what significant events in your in in your mind have shaped the business model that Spire has today? Uh, well, it's interesting because it was the last major disaster most people remember: the financial <laughs> collapse of 2008, 2009. <laughs> um, so you know you're standing here in 2020, and obviously I've said that we're a 10 year old company, so we were kind of born or derived out of the ashes of the 2008, 2009 financial collapse, obviously. Um, so that's a significant event, and uh, what that did 
is it instilled uh, a conservatism into the culture of the company the day that we started. Um, you know, we, we have pretty heavy core capital requirements in-house. We're very conservative on, on how we bring around our staffing and develop our staffing. Um, and we're really committed to holding our staff people, to retaining them for long term. Uh, most of our employees have been with us for eight or nine years. Uh, we've been able to maintain those core folks and then people that we added on in year five or six are still with us. Um, so we have pretty low retain uh, return over um, intentionally. Um, you know, and those, the staffing, the capital management, uh, the way in which we uh, run our contracts and try to work with our clients and, you know, and be transparent with them as to what our numbers are so, so that we can protect our payments so that there's no dispute and dragging out being paid. It, it goes back to the that we came out of 2008, 2009 financial collapse. <laughs> it's well, pretty simple. Well, I, I, I love the thought of it's funny how kind of people get fat and happy, you know? I mean, it's uh, – I related to marriage, and this is terrible because my wife's going to kill me about this. But you know, the fact is, is when you're young and you're dating, you want to stay slim and trim so you can attract the the beautiful girl you want to marry. And then you get married, and you feel like, oh, you know what? I I don't need to worry about that anymore. So then you <laughs> and you don't focus on that and 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 you become fat and happy like many companies i hate to say many many companies were until a few weeks ago and uh and companies were when we hit 2007 2008 and and uh having that thought process um you know because there's several people in my staff that didn't go through 2007 2008 so they don't understand that you know things things were bad you know and uh how do you deal with them? You know, how do, how do you, you know, how do you be conservative with your money? You know, why, why would you leave a whole bunch of money in your business? Well, you leave a whole bunch of money in your business. So during times like this, you stay in business, you know? So, uh, yeah, but, yeah. but, uh, what would you say personally? What, what, what would you say based on your skills and ability? Do you think helps Spire as a company? Um, that we're so committed to you know to both sides of the construction industry i mean we all know out there i'm sure any of your listeners are going to joke about it you know the light side versus the dark side you know building the job versus dealing with all the attorneys and stabbing the dead and the construction claims and litigation process after the fact um we're committed to being on both sides of that and um that we try to make sure that our staff does that so the same staff even if junior staff um that are in the litigation group, they're the same people that we're requiring that they spend a certain amount of their time to schedule updates and go out to job sites and you know visit the clients and help them with change orders during the project if they if their clients want that you know, TIAs that kind of stuff. Um, so we don't just wind up with junior consultants who eventually grow up into managers and senior managers who are just pure litigation and really have no field experience. Um, and then, you know, the same thing with our PM division. Our PM division, which is really just, like I said, owner's agent. Um, you know, we want them to be aware of what's going on in the developments that we're seeing on litigation groups. So they're able to, you know, show up with us at company meetings and they're able to interact with our litigation people and keep abreast of what's going on and, you know, take that away as just knowledge as they do their jobs on the owner side. 
so that's why I think is something that's you know strength of ours in the way in which we're developing our staff and bringing our folks along, uh, and it's a true commitment of the company. I mean, you even see it on our website, on our videos, on our websites. Uh, that you know, it's something that we preach and that we do consistently. Well, you know, kind of mo moving on to the kind of like advice and things that you would give to other people, other other construction executives like yourself or people aspiring to to get into that position someday, what kind of advice would you give to those people personally and professionally um, to do that? Uh, you mean towards like starting your own business or are you talking about working in the industry that we're talking about here? Either or just professionally or personally, you know, some people said, you know, personally, uh, one person said marry well. <laughs> 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 that one always works. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, that's a good, that's a, that's very good. And and then uh, uh, professionally, I mean, however you see that, it's kind of open ended. Yeah, I mean, uh, if your if your intent is to develop a business and start one from scratch, um, I definitely recommend patience. Um, you know, tempered with you know growing your your community and your culture so it works within the community that you're dealing with uh, and by community I mean your community presence you know mm -hmm. if you're a contractor be involved with AGC be involved with APA you know those are your communities that you're involved with legal side and the contractor side um, you know be involved with those groups and have patience uh, as you develop your own culture and you work in that community presence um, it, it, those are kind of things that reap their rewards in the long term um, if you're a young person trying to come into the industry, whether at a general contractor or at a firm like ours, which does owner's reps and dispute resolution, uh, you know, get engaged in all the different activities you can, uh, both inside the firm and outside the firm. Mm -hmm. uh, in our case, we have a lot of non-billable uh, type engagements, you know, writing white papers, going to community services. Uh, we actually encourage our people to take a chairman or uh, president or vice president or secretarial positions at like you know, at SWE, for instance, you know, Society of Women Engineers, one or two people on that, um, or at various chapters for ACCI um, and where our regional offices are. And we do that, you know, as an investment, you know, because all that time is something that the company is just paying for without any billable time coming back to us and sometimes it's pretty significant um, you know we're investing sometimes twenty thirty thousand dollars into an individual to give them non-billable time to be in these various groups and business associations even though they're only in their 20s um, and their chances of them developing any work in the short term for us is not there because we're not investing for short-term business development out of them we're investing in them to develop their career to have all those opportunities to develop that relationship in those networks, and uh, you know, long term, we hope that that will will turn out. Many other companies do those type of things. Some of them don't. Some do. Some do. But for the firms that do it, and if you're a young person and you're in a company that does it, and you don't take advantage of all those opportunities, you're just hurting yourself long term. Well, you know, you hit the nail on the head. The problem with most companies, I don't think I don't think they see the the long term you know, benefits of that. It's good that you guys focus on that because there are true benefits of that and personally and professionally, you know? So, yeah. you know, you don't want people to get bored. Like I have a lot of really sharp people 
and I need to challenge there are type of people that need to be challenged all the time well if I'm only focusing on them doing the daily grind I may not be challenging them and ultimately lose them you know so I'm sure you're the same way with what you guys do yeah we're the same way I mean uh, I was just having a conversation actually you know a day or two ago with some of my staff and I had to sort of check one of my guys and say hey you know how would you like to treat somebody like that and it was referring to a client of ours it was a junior PM who kind of went out, got a little bit into a tiff tiff. You guys all know how job site conversations go sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and he and my guy was all pissed off and you know giving me a lot of sass. And I I just sit him down and said, look, this has nothing to do with business. This has nothing to do with the claim that we're talking about at hand. This is you and him. Don't get along. You guys have been butting heads for six months. You know, big deal that he got teed off. You know, at some point you know, how would you like to be in his shoes? He's under the gun, he's under the pressure, and he's looking for help. And at the same point in time, you're trying to hold, you know, right, right down the line on exactly what we should do and should not do in terms of just professional advice. And you're not wrong in that, but you have to deliver it and communicate it in a way that's human. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> The guy, the guy is taking a beating, and, and you're just sounding like a robot to him. You know, nobody appreciates that. You know what I'm saying? Hey, uh, so hey, you know what's so funny about that, and I preach this all the time, but one thing that is lost in construction is customer service. You know, every other industry gets it. You know, I mean. They they treat their clients well. They treat their their you know they treat their subcontractors. I mean I mean they they treat the people they work with, their vendors and stuff well. But in construction, it seems like we don't get that, you know. And in fact, it seems like we're encouraged not to do that in some aspects, you know. And uh, um and it's like a, a automatically an adversarial type relationship. And I I like the the uh, the thought of I always tell people just treat people like you like to be treated and if they don't the reason that they may challenge you on something or get upset is because there's something obviously there you know and you need to help yeah. them with but but uh if you were taking somebody like that young man and you would have to sit him down and just tell him hey this is what you need to do in order to professionally and personally grow what would you tell him well, I, actually, I had that conversation with him. That's part of what I went through with him. Um, I told him he needs to work on his communication skills. Number one, uh, it sounds weird, given that we're you know mostly you know scheduling, estimating, um, and then litigation, which of course is the quantification using estimating and scheduling techniques forensically. Mm -hmm. um, that communication would be such a huge thing. Um, but the re what I was trying to explain to him was. If you can't communicate on a human on a human basis, just to connect both emotionally and academically, uh, you're never going to go anywhere in this industry or any industry, frankly. Mm -hmm. and, and you can't sort of have one persona in your in your uh, your private life and another persona in your you know, your public life. Um, you know. You're a good person. I know you are. You have great ethics, but yet, for some reason, as a young guy, he he believes that he has to have a different persona to hold himself out as a as an expert, and he puts this facade on, and it's not needed. I mean, when he actually 
breaks down the facade and just talks to people humanly, um, the clients actually respond better to him, whether he recognizes it or not, because of course we get feedback on the backside from mm -hmm. a lot of clients as they report up their chain. Um, so that's one key, you know, as I was explaining to him, is you know, don't worry about having to be the expert. Everybody understands, even on the other side, that you're a junior person. You don't have to have the same qualifications or the experience that I have yet. You'll be there 20 years from now. Just give it patience, mm -hmm. which, is the, which is the second point. You know, understand where you're at. First, develop your communication skills. Next time, the second point, have patience. If we put you on a project and you have a specific role, Yes, I know you want to prove yourself and you want to prove that you're ready for motion to next level and all that kind of stuff, but you can do damage to yourself by stretching too fast too far because you'll d damage people you're working with by stepping on them either in-house or pissing off clients on the outhouse because you're so busy trying to put this persona on that you're so qualified to go to the next level that the clients think you're an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not going to get you to the next level because if I'm getting feedback from clients like that, that's going to hold you back. Does that make sense? So the combination of developing communication skills and having patience to properly uh, season, if you will, I know that's probably not a socially correct way to put it, um, but it's, it's, it's needed. I mean, it's, it's back to what we opened this conversation about. All that time I had in the field when I was a teenager, even though it was brutal seasoning and brutal beating by super tans and PMs back then, because you know how they treated us back then, mm -hmm. it was valuable because it taught you humility. It taught you communication skills. It taught you when to be hard and when to be soft. Um, and and it, it sounds silly, but those are still valuable management skills in working through any organization and also through problems. It's and it's amazing. Is it as simple as <clears throat> just talking to people? And people want to, you know, it's kind of like I always tell people, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Well, I don't go to church now because the church is closed. But <laughs> but but virtual if I church. but if we're doing I, virtual church this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did go to church, I would uh, <laughs> um, I I I would listen to the the pastor a lot more when he tells a story than when he tells the verse out of, just the verse out of the Bible, you know, everybody wants to know the background behind, okay, what is said? Well, anybody can pick up a Bible. It's just like anybody can pick up a schedule or whatever, but they want to understand the backstory. And that's why I think it's, it is important. And, and I've, uh, you know, my career teaching at, uh, uh, being a college professor, one thing I did learn is some of the people that you think this kid is sharp, this kid gets it really struggle because they don't know how to communicate with anybody. They don't know how to show respect. And if they feel like they're somehow, you know, because they have a degree that's put them in a better position, you know, um, and uh, um, that's that's really tough. That's what the model we have today is so, such a tough thing for. And, and I'll give young people credit is they don't really have an opportunity. You know, we have three co-ops, you know, three summers, basically nine months after four years they worked in the field doing construction well gosh that's not that's you know that that that's that's good but in the long term gosh man that's not a long time <laughs> you know so you're gonna have to learn to talk to people and take uh and even today you know i i think of the construction superintendents how 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 they still are because we still got a lot of 50 60 year old construction superintendents out there and 
you know, that old school. <laughs> it's tough to sit there and discuss float with some old school guy, you know. I mean, he may or may not understand it. He he's probably built things you'd never even dream about building, you know. Well, so, I'm sure you've had the same experience, Scott. Uh, the best schedulers out there are the old dinosaur superintendents that are a dying breed. Mm-hmm. And to communicate and work with them, I, I we have a, a set of a superintendents from a, a very large contractor in Louisiana who. I just can't speak enough about. They they've retained a very strong superintendent staff, and every time I I sit down with one of the four or five of them, uh, I bring one or two of my junior staff with me, and the reason I do it and I pay you know I pay it on my ticket on my own pocket to, just to have them there mm-hmm. is because I want them to see how I have to treat this gentleman who has tons of just experience in construction and knowledge of how to work super subcontractors and the whole staffing and all that kind of stuff and the logistics of a job and how I change my communication style with him. I don't talk about float. I don't talk. I take out, you know, hand charts with just pencil and paper sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Drawings are on the table and you're talking through the details. And when you see that, you can almost see the pictures in their brain coming up on how they're seeing the job come together. And it's back to what you were just saying, learning how to understand and visualize what the words they're saying are drawing the picture of, not just hearing the words, like you were talking about with the Bible. That's what you have to be able to do when you communicate with that generation of folks, um, because those guys, you know, they're visual thinkers. They're not just literal. You know, and their language when they talk to you is colorful. There's a reason why it's colorful. <laughs> they're, they're, they're expressing emotionally just as much as how they want things to go and how they want things to sequence out than just turn it into a scientific exercise because they care. You know, those that generation, those guys care about their jobs. You know what I mean? Um, well, it, it's kind of funny because, like, my, my grandfather, he was a carpenter, and um, it's funny when you hear – like as a carpenter back when he was as a you know a a you know a uh, a, journey, a journeyman carpenter he was somebody it was looked as mm-hmm. not, it, the trades was really highly looked upon and and the push to college and a few other things have changed and you know everyone says well i've i'd expect you to say the opposite you know cuz you taught college and you have an education, and my simple response is, yeah, but I, I, I respect the the experience aspect of it, and I also respect the people who actually go out there and do the work every day because they're really yeah. the people who make it happen. So absolutely, so absolutely, um, I can't can agree with you more, Scott. Okay, so to kind of close this out, um, I, I just I'm going to ask you to to rate different these different categories on a one to ten basis. Ten being the highest, one being the lowest, and they can all be ten, you know. Um, so you know, if you think they're all that important, that's fine. Just want to kind of get your input, and you can explain your number, or you can just say it's a nine, you know. So the okay. first shoot, the first one is is interesting. It's a uh, scheduling. I wonder what you're going to say about this one. Um, you say score of one to ten? Yeah, ten uh, being the highest. Ten, ten, ten being the highest and one being the lowest. Yes. Um, I'd probably put a, a scheduling at like a nine then, if it's the highest. It's it's fairly important, relevant to you know the big picture. You know, hand in hand with estimating and contracting because 
you know, you, you need to have that original schedule locked in with your estimate and locked in with your contract when you launch a project. Um, that's where I'd put those. So you think so you think estimating is about a nine also, you said? Yeah, if you're saying ten's the highest. Okay. Most important. What about contract administration? Contract administration, I'd put a notch down, so it did go down to like an eight then or so, okay. seven or eight. You know, you, it, that's the old rule of document, document, document. But uh-huh. you think as a, a litigation guy, I would say is the number one thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't because I realize that, you know, you got to get your contracts in place. The contracts need to have your, you know, a strong estimate or a basis in the numbers that you're putting in there for the dollars and your contract price. And you got to have a good schedule along with that. That should be the results of all your upfront planning. Um, the administration process of documenting everything after that is the next step. So it has to be one less step is important to getting a job launched correctly. Now, at the same point in time, people argue, well, the contract and the schedule and the estimate, those are part of the documentation process and part of the contract administration process. And I'll go, yeah, you're right, guys. But I think from the way that you're laying these out to me, you're separating those in two different steps along the construction process. So that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. What about design? Uh, I find design to be really important. Um, and I'm saying that from both uh, the PM or the program management division of our company and from the litigation side. Um, you know, we, we see so many projects where, uh, from a failure point of view, where the designs are not given the amount of effort and time at the beginning of the project, uh, both from conceptual to schematic to DD. Mm-hmm. And it shows when you're getting into construction. Because if, the, if those designs are flaws, it, it does affect the pricing of the contracts. It does affect the, the quality of the schedules that are attached to those contracts. It does affect the ability to document what's going on because now all the documentation of RFIs and change controls has to increase. And that draws down all the, and distracts all the efforts of the field staff um, and the owner's staff as well um, to focus on just you know safety, quality, and putting base contract work in because now they're dealing with all types of change management crap. Um, so you know the more time you have to do a great design that's detailed and thorough and, and has all the third-party checks in it and the third-party reviews, um, it, you know that it, it just helps the process dramatic, drastically. Um, that's all I can say about that. And we kind of, I said, uh, I talked about administration of the contract. Let's just talk about the contract. What do you think contract falls in there? Um, you know, the contracts are important. Um, I mean, these days we live in a risk transfer world. Everyone's trying to shift the risk back and forth to one another. And um, I understand that process. The, you know, so if you don't have a well-drafted contract that really lays out everything you need to deal with, um you know, you're going nowhere because you're just going to give up all your rights and have a bunch of obligations that you, you didn't want to have. <laughs> yeah, understood. Um, what about uh, accounting? Accounting is important. Um, again, I'll, I'll answer this one more from our forensic point of view than the PM or mm-hmm. program management point of view. Um, the, when we get into quantifying stuff, a lot of times, uh, Contractors will do a good job of identifying and writing notice about a change, mm-hmm. but then forget to you know open up a new job cost number to track that change event because they haven't got it officially approved by the owner yet. It's still pending. Um, or they'll co 
commingle charges, they'll open up a job cost number for the new changed event or the PCO, but they'll commingle invoices between a base contract line item and the PCO cost account number they opened up. Um, you know, that kind of stuff becomes really messy when you try to explain it in an REA submission mm -hmm. or in a, a change order submission if you're on a private job later on to an owner. So the better that they, they can track that and keep it separate is stronger. So that's on the change control and the dispute resolution type of side. Um, on a PM type of side, you know, if you don't know where you're at with your, you know, underbillings and overbillings, if you don't know where you're at in terms of cash flow management, um, you're, you might as well not be in business. I mean, any good general contractor, subcontractor, um, or even on us when we work on owner side, cash flow is king on these mm -hmm. projects. And you got to know where you stand on that type of stuff. What about selling work? Uh, I'm going to be, this is where, I, you know, I'm a little bit greedy. Um, I, I consider that a 10, um, if you're saying 10 is most valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, you know, we're a small business. We've been in business for 10 years. We focus on selling work. You know, all our employees are involved in the selling process. There really is no one person that's 100% administrative. Um, because we're a small business, so everybody wears multiple hats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even larger companies, the clients I deal with, um, they need to have that backlog to deal with the trouble spots. You know, they may have a good job, but they may be, you know, looking at $50 million, $60 million worth of change orders and claims on the job, which, of course, wiped out their profit. Mm -hmm. And now they have negative cash flow, which means they're draining the profit on, from other projects that are going on at the same time. If they don't have a strong backlog behind them, um, in the funnel, they're not going to be able to fund the litigation and REAs to go collect that $50, $60 million, which might take a couple of years. So constantly selling work, replenishing the funnel, uh, whether you're a small business, medium business, or a large business is just good sense and business practice. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to have the marketing and selling uh, strategies uh, to keep your business sustainable through tough times or, or good times. And last but not least, leadership. Uh, leadership, of course, is really important. Um, again, I would put that up there with the 10, like selling work. Um, you know, guiding, aligning internal capabilities with external market demands, uh, being able to look out five, 10 years, or even just two years, um, and to, to go through all that process with your internal folks and your external client base the communication skills to 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 listen to what's going on and then to get people to follow you in everything these avenues we just talked about accounting um, the contract scheduling estimating selling work um, you know you're trying to get people to follow you on where you want to go with all those elements so that you don't have to micromanage all those elements um, is is really important uh, if if you, know, you have to have a leader or at least a leadership group in the firm that's able to, uh, to take on that role. Well, I want to thank you, John. And by the way, I love your last name, John. I wish my name was John Wolf. You know, I mean, <laughs> so. Um, but uh, you got an awesome name. That can't that can't truly be your last name. You must have just made that up, like an actor or something. So, uh, but uh, but I just want to tell you, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm glad that we kind of ran across each other. Uh, I'm glad that we really compliment each other in a lot of things that we do. Um, and, uh, um, 
you know, I I haven't had a chance to to talk with you except for uh, uh, trading emails and having some of my folks talk to you. But uh, I'm excited about us uh, working together in the future. Uh, like I said, we we complement each other well, and it, and you know, I'm really impressed with Spire as a company. I mean, you guys serve a much needed niche that is that as out there and you guys do a really good job so i have worked with some of your past clients and uh i'm been very impressed with what your knowledge and and the advice you give them so as i do with everybody you get the last word um well number one you're welcome scott thank you for all those uh, those compliments and i do look forward to working with you in the same fashion going forward um, i appreciate this this is a new experience to the podcast and uh it's been pleasant you made it easy to figure out what I'm doing here. <laughs> so uh, to everybody else, I uh, wish you guys luck and uh, good wishes to everybody, uh, yours and all, uh, through this coronavirus. And uh, look forward to working with uh, anybody and yourself and anybody else on this that hears this uh, on the other end of this mess. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, thank you. Thank you again, John. And uh, next week we'll have another construction executive. And uh, I everybody stay safe.